Two weeks ago now, and forgive the voice, that's what happens when you sit out in the rain fishing. Two weeks ago, I was on vacation last Sunday, we, we looked two weeks ago at chapter 8, verses 26 through 30, just above where Cricket just read for us, and we saw why that passage, the one we looked at two weeks ago, why it is such cherished truth for believers the world over for generations particularly verse 28. Well, this passage, verses 31 to 39 that Cricket just read is, is a continuation. This passage, I bet if I looked at a lot of your Bibles, this would be a discolored page for all the finger oil uh, flipping there. It might even be tear stained in a few of our Bibles as we've opened this before the Lord with, as it says earlier in this chapter, with our groanings too deep for words, but we're being told more than just nothing at all can ever separate us from the love of God in Jesus. And that's a lot to say. And if we were just being told that, that, that would be more than enough. But we're, we're, we're not just being told only that nothing at all can ever separate us from the love of God in Jesus. Suffering Christians need to hear that. And we are all of us suffering in one way or another. If you are not now, you will. If you are not now, you are in proximity to someone who is suffering. God never promises the inhabitants of a fallen world nor his people, specifically in a fallen world, he never promises us freedom from suffering. He promises us himself. That's a different promise. The presence of suffering in the world, what he guarantees us is not a comfortable life. He guarantees us his love. The presence of suffering does not mean the absence of love. Look at it again as you're looking at the text, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How much does God love the son he didn't spare? If all Paul wants to get across is being loved by God makes us inseparable to God, then it would be enough to just call us conquerors. But he says more, doesn't he? He says, verse 37, that we are more than conquerors. Not just conquerors. More than conquerors. Again, verse 37. Why? Why more than? What does it mean? This is going to be our focus. We're going to take one thing today and put it before us. This phrase in verse 37, and we'll, we'll, we'll bend the sermon, we'll wrap it around what does it mean to be more than conquerors? As you look at this passage, verses 31 to 39, the face of the earth is before us here. And Paul says nothing in it, nothing on it, nothing over it, nothing haunting it can defeat the love God has for his people in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's people also known here, verse 33, as God's elect this is a lot to take in. Nothing at all can ever separate us from the love of God in Jesus. On paper, this reads so poetic. But the world is harsh. 
A fallen world is disappointing. It's frightening. We try to deny this, plan to avoid it, but we cannot always. We know a lot is in fact against us, and we're not arguing with the passage when we say this. It's the reality. Sometimes we see it coming in time to get out of the way. Other times it seems like we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. I was reading about a man who went to a junkyard to find spare wheels. In one section of the yard, there was a crane, big junkyard, and the crane in this particular section uh, had attached to it a, a large uh, magnet, and attached to the magnet was a junk car that had not yet been placed on one of the stacks of cars, and the man spare parts customer thought nothing of this that's a standard sight in junkyards like that but right when he got underneath this the magnet with the car attached broke from the crane and came crashing down on the spare parts customer killing him instantly the funeral director whose account of this i was reading wrote about it because he couldn't get over the calm expression on the dead man's face when he got the crushed body to prepare it for burial. Everything was broken, but there was no panic frozen on the face. The face was very serene, which means the man never knew what hit him. He was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. In this world, that can happen. Much is, in fact, against us, even natural things like gravity or high winds in hurricane seasons or plate tectonics. Two weeks ago now, tonight, I was driving in Los Angeles. And it's so intimidating to go to a, a humongous city like that and drive downtown and, and to think in that moment, this is where the earthquakes happen. And I've got my wife and my daughter here and what if that happens in this moment? And there's just this moment of a little bit of panic sets in. And, you know, Memphis is not out of the earthquake woods either, but California, they just happen frequently. And I start thinking, where does Dwayne Johnson live around here? Because I'm going to need him. You remember San Andreas? That guy's a handy dude to have around when the buildings are falling. What does it mean to be more than conquerors? I mean, you got to have big muscles like Dwayne Johnson. You got to be in the movies like him, skyscraper jumping off the crane into the building. How does he do that? Fantastic guy. What does it mean to be more than conquerors? Well, I, I think there is a face that goes with this, I want to say. And it's a face much like is described by the psalmist. You don't have to turn there. But listen to this from Psalm 34. It's a psalm of David when things were not going well for David and he was on the run from Saul and he was in Philistine territory and he needed to make the Philistine king think he was crazy so the guy wouldn't kill him. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. 
So then the radiant face, according to scripture, is not the one who never knows things to fear and groan over, but the one who turns in those things to look to the Lord so that trust and hope rather than fear and despair counsel me, even hold me. Let me give you one big idea as I mentioned from this message, not two things today or three, just one. This phrase in verse 37, more than conquerors, what does it mean? One thing. It means a lot of things. We could, I could give you a list of five, nine kinds of things. I'll just give you one because I think, I think in the time we have, it's good to just build this around one central idea. Being more than conquerors means we are loved with a love that raises the dead. We are loved with not just any kind of love. We are loved by love incarnate. A love that raises the dead. This is all I want to give us this morning. Love, if you will notice, look in the passage. The passage repeats the word love. It's throughout our passage. As your eyes move from 31 to 39, you will see love. The love of God for us. Particular kind of love particular kind of power nothing in the world nothing on the world nothing over the world if you're looking at verses 35 38 39 you've got all this stuff in verses 35 38 and 39 that's harsh none of that and more besides nothing at all very comprehensive statements here nothing at all can ever defeat that's what's meant by separation, verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ. The idea of separation is defeat. Nothing at all, nothing that has ever existed, will ever exist, can ever defeat the love God has for his people in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not the hurricane, not the earthquake, not the metal fatigue in a broken machine, nothing including your greatest sin think about that it's often in the intense guilt and shame of what we consider our worst sinning that we will say to ourselves no way God loves me now but he does because he has bound himself to us by love that raises the dead and that makes it a very particular kind of love with a very particular kind of power. It's not love in general. It's love specific. And if we don't have this love of God that comes to us through Jesus Christ, if we don't have this love, we're lost, even if we know the love of a thousand other people. There's a short story by T.H. White. T.H. White was early 20th century uh, British author, known for his King Arthur novels. If you ever liked the King Arthur novels, you were reading T.H. White. T.H. White wrote a, a short story called You Can't Keep a Good Man Down. A lot of people think it's an odd story, and, and it is, in that Dr. Prisonface is the name of his good man, Dr. Prisonface. Well, that's... Um, Name is, is communicating something. The, the, the story is something of a parable. Let me give it to you. 
Dr. Prisonface suffers a lot of bad things, as his name would imply. He's um, highly educated, Dr. Prisonface, but he, he loses his position as a school headmaster. And in the British context where he was, uh, with that came a lot of prestige, and, and that was all gone. He pursued a particular woman and got nowhere with her. She wouldn't give him the time of day. At every turn as his life unfolds, in most everything he attempts, there's failure and growing disillusionment with life and people, and he descends further and further and further down into, finally, homelessness. And in that state, having lost everything, He's limping along a darkened wooded road and he meets a man walking a black dog. The man has striking features. I mean, when you, you look at him, you just get this kind of chill. It's, it's like he's lived a long time, but he's not old. And the man with the dog has this supernatural magnetism and, and Dr. Prisonface is drawn to him. He seems to be able to read Dr. Prisonface, reads his life back to him. The man tells him that he was a school headmaster too at a place called Golden Gates. But like Prisonface, he couldn't bear the people there, couldn't stand them. And as he interprets Dr. Prisonface's life for him, it seems this man has everything that Dr. Prisonface has ever wanted for himself. And because the man has this insight, Dr. Prisonface asks him, what is it that I've been looking for? But the man pitches it back to Prisonface, says, you'll know when you find it. But Dr. Prisonface presses for an answer. Has it been wisdom I've been seeking? Has it been manhood I've been looking for? And all the man will tell him in response is perhaps it is love. And that sounds so noble until Dr. Prisonface asks the man his name and the man answers Lucifer. The story is a parable. Dr. Prisonface is essentially told by the devil incarnate he will save himself when he finds love and the key is to keep looking for it. What a ploy. A lot of people believe that and they go looking for a love that will not let them down, a love that will keep us from suffering. See, that's what we want from love, but we have unrealistic expectations. I've heard Paul David Tripp say that what happens to a lot of us in suffering is that we mourn the death of what we thought we could depend on. Hear that again. What happens to a lot of us in suffering is we mourn the death of what we thought we could depend on, what we thought was true, like, if I can just find love, then I'll be happy. But that isn't true. And it isn't that it's an outright lie. It's just that it isn't true that being loved, even loved by God, means you will avoid everything you've ever wanted to avoid and get out of life everything you want to get. It isn't true that God rewards our faithfulness with a trouble-free life. He's never promised us that. He's promised us himself. That's what's true. And that's what we depend on. Because the world is not the way it is supposed to be. Security in a fallen world. This passage is telling us 
We can only source our security in a particular kind of love, not love in general, love itself. We've got to experience a love that suffering cannot take away from us if we're going to know real security. Lucifer in the Dr. Prisonface story just sets the poor guy up for more pain because as the real devil knows, human beings love the wrong things and love the right things the wrong way all the time. And we need a loving resistance to our own propensity to self-destruct, not just what others can do to us, but we ourselves. This is the love we get from God. What we get in the gospel of Jesus Christ is a promise of being loved by a love that raises the dead, which means it is unconquerable, it is indestructible. This is what distinguishes the love of God from all other loves. This is why when you, when you uh, counsel uh, a young couple that's about to be married, as Taylor and I frequently do, one of the things you have to say to them is you will not be the other savior. As good a marriage as you can build, and we'll try to give you the tools to know how to build that, you will not be one another's savior. In fact, it's the people that we, uh, oftentimes that we care for the most uh, that we hurt the worst. The love of God is not that you're not going to suffer. Passage doesn't say that. Nowhere does it say that in Scripture. What it says to us is that being loved with a love particular to God has the power to secure us in the very worst things that are part of the fallenness of this world. In fact, we can even take this a step further. Being loved by God means every enemy becomes a potential servant. I'm giving you something that I can't fully explain to you, but let me make some attempt. This passage lists enemies. Let's just call them enemies. Everything in verse 35, verses 38, 39, it's all slanted to the unwelcome. The unwelcome events, the unwelcome forces, the intrusive things, the hardships outright that the people of God have always faced in a world that is not as God intended it right now. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? We've, we've faced all this. Christians have faced all this for centuries up to the present moment. These are enemies. Verse 38, I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers... By that he means those fallen angels and those rulers who are not uh, for us, nor things present, nor things to come, all of the, the, the potentialities, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says in verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We get that a conqueror strikes down his enemy. That's what a conqueror is. A conqueror is someone who strikes his enemy down. But if one is more than a conqueror, remember, verse 37 is very specific, more than a conqueror, that means he makes his enemy his servant. In our case, to bring us more of Jesus. Again, I don't quite know how to explain this, but I have experienced it. Even over these last couple of years, 
and going through some hard things. More of Jesus in that. Not immediately, not all at once. There's a a season uh, where you just feel kind of lost and you're in the pain and the, the struggle. And not in a sugary, sentimental way, but a way that says, Lord, here I am, here we are, actually in the thing that we thought we would never be in. Here we are in the circumstance of, of life that, that, that we tried to teach uh, in a different direction, send in a different direction. This is part of our story now. But our story, let our story be that we keep looking to you whether this ever gets better or not. Let our story be that we keep looking to you. I can't explain fully how he meets us in the hard things, but I, I just know that he does. I've logged some miles there now. If this was ever theory to me, um, it's not anymore. And it made me think of, a, I remember reading years ago uh, that after Mount St. Helens, I'll, I'll, I'll try to get it to you in a picture because I, I can't explain it. And it's kind of a weird picture, but it's a, it's a weird and wonderful picture at the same time. Mount St. Helens out in Washington State erupted in 1980. Colson, I was 11 years old. I was your age, you and David. I was 11 when Mount St. Helens erupted. It's a volcano out there. You guys interested now? And so this uh, volcano erupts and um, the intense heat of a volcanic explosion. Of course, it decimated all the far, I mean, thousands of acres. I mean, you, you all were around in 1980, you remember this. I remember it as an 11-year-old. Thousands of acres destroyed. The soil melted. Think about that. The, the melted soil. Layers of volcanic ash everywhere. The Forest Service wondered how long it would take the forest to recover. They didn't know. I mean, volcanic activity is, you don't have a lot of modern times experience with that and so it was kind of unknown when it hits a forest woodlands like that how long would it take the forest to recover what that ended up looking like the form it took literally they weren't expecting as they go out and begin to look at the places as time passes they, they discover these patches of green springing up it's otherwise a barren landscape, but you get these patches of green, and in the patch of green, there's these new wildflowers and ferns and, and grasses growing. And upon closer inspection, when they stepped back, the, the patches were in the shape of an elk and a moose and other animals that had been immediately buried under the, the ash, and, and yet their body had become the organic material out of which this lush new forest growth spread. That, that is weird and wonderful at the same time, isn't it? I can't explain this to you, but more than conquerors means our enemies, our hard things in some fashion become the organic material out of which we get more of Jesus. And I've been living this. I think I've been living this. I know it doesn't make wrong things right 
Don't hear me saying that. It doesn't make bad things good. That's misunderstanding of this. It means that everything that can be considered an enemy, everything that can be considered a deficit, everything that is a source of suffering is a potential servant to give me more of Christ, and that's good, even though the thing itself is not, and that's all I'm going to say about that because I don't know what else to say about it. The rest has to be lived. The worst things can still happen to us. What has this passage said to us in the previous verses? Creation is groaning. Groaning. Yearning, longing. The worst things that can happen to us, such as listed here in verses 35, 38, 39, these things that none of us want, these things that expose our frailties, they exploit our vulnerabilities. All of this happens to the people of God. <laughs> Historically up to the present time. You're not going to be able to circle any of this and go, well, I'll serve you, Lord, unless you bring that, unless you allow this. Every, every generation of Christians the world over has experienced this stuff. I mean, verse 36, unless you think this is just a new covenant thing, Paul says, well, let's reach back into a lament psalm in verse 36, Psalm 44, which happens to be a, 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 a psalm that articulates feelings of abandonment by God because of things suffered. Look at it, verse 36, as it is written in Psalm 44, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's not a pretty picture. That's kind of the worst kinds of things that can happen to us. But it's not the worst thing that can happen to us. And this is where the gospel speaks this good word to us. Because the worst thing that can happen to us predates us. If the cross slaughtered the love of God, if Jesus stayed dead, then that's the worst of all possible outcomes. Why? Because that means then that God's love would be no better than anyone else's. It would just be another love that can fail us and disappoint us. Not a love that actually raises the dead. We are more than conquerors because nothing kills the love of God for us. Nothing of trouble, nothing of our sin, whether it's your own sin or someone else's sin against you, nothing of Satan. If the love of God is love that raises the dead, then the worst possible thing that could happen to me is to not be raised. To be loved with an impotent love. And if it's impotent, that it's divine, would make it all the worse. But that's, that's not what happens. That's not what is. Verse 32, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And this all things here, this is not everything we could ever want in life. It's not the gospel according to America. It's the deeper drive in human beings, it's the deeper desire in human beings made in the image of God to have life that outlasts death and a home where love is truly unconditional and unending. And you know, sometimes the, the very people who go to sleep on this are Christians because we're around it so much. You don't realize out there among your neighbors, the craving in their soul for something that outlasts life here and now. You, you, um, you ever heard something called transhumanism? Uh, you will if you haven't yet. It's rapidly 
gaining steam. It's a lot of what's happening in artificial intelligence is part of this movement. Transhumanism is basically the idea that human beings are, are continuing to evolve. That's the idea. But that human beings have to evolve beyond our current physical and mental limitations. So where will we turn to, to do that class to our scientific and technological advances? Because we are so scientifically and technologically advanced now, we are so enough to be really sick of ourselves and want to do something about it. We want to change the human equation in such a way that we eventually give ourselves a way around death itself, which is still the unconquerable foe for human beings. Death, without the gospel, it is the end, full stop. Where human evolution is headed in the estimation of transhumanists who are working to make this reality is to better, longer-lasting human beings will do this for ourselves. As Lucifer sent Dr. Prisonface to just a better kind of lostness, so too the humanism at work in this present artist. And you know, when I say humanism, a lot of you get this image of, you know, these wicked professors stealing the minds of churched kids in secular classrooms, you know, with ivy growing up, poison ivy growing up the side. We need to make another God is not dead movie. No, we don't. You know, please stop making those movies. They're unrealistic. You know what humanism actually is? It is something that you and I buy into every day. Because humanism in this culture is making the world an end in itself. In the Dr. Prison Face story, love from Lucifer is presented as an end in itself. Perhaps it is love. We want that to be the truth. We want that to make our face radiant. We want that to deliver us from all our fears. If I just find love, then I've got it. That's humanism by default. The devil is a master of this. But a lot of us buy in when we believe and we act like the world is an end in itself. This passage says the world can never be enough for those who know a love that raises the dead. And so whatever happens in this world, I can have it by the tail or it can roll over on me tomorrow and crush me underneath its weight. I can still be hurt and distressed and feel everything is against me. I can sit among the ruins, but the love of God in Christ for me is always, always, always there. This is not a consolation for when life doesn't work. This is the prize itself on your best day. This is the prize. It is what it means to be loved by a love that is different to the core. This is what it means to be more than a conqueror. It means I am loved with a love that raises the dead. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine 
or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. We are thankful that there is no condemnation in Christ and we're thankful that that no condemnation comes to us bow-wrapped in love and that you did not hermetically seal us to save us, but you embraced us in our dirty ways of living on our own. You embraced our dirty unrighteousness and you embraced our dirty self-righteousness. And I thank you, Lord, for the work that you do. I thank you for a passage like this one that takes us into the heartbeat of the gospel, the heartbeat of God for his people. Thank you, Lord for loving us with a love that raises the dead. Every other love that we've ever sought, clawed after, inflamed in lust for all of it, was really a desire at a more deeper place in our souls for that love that belongs to you and comes from you. And so we're grateful. We're thankful that we can sing with the redeemed the world over this great hymn of faith that follows. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.